Well, good morning. Good morning. I've, I sometimes um, have a few different options for my introduction to the message, and uh, this morning was no different. And as we were singing the doxology, you may have heard my youngest son do things a little differently than everybody else was doing things. He, uh, we'll call it augments the song with uh, a little extra on, on the words that he remembers, that he knows. And as we sang the last song and you heard everybody singing together and you hear every, you know, like all the voices become one voice, you're like, oh, that's nice. And then we're singing the doxology and, and I'm hearing my son, above and beyond everybody else, which I actually enjoy. It's kind of fun. I'm not beating him up for it. And I'll, I will remember that. But there is a goal when we're singing, when we're in corporate worship, to be one voice, to have one purpose, and to sound like everybody's doing their part. And I'd, I've never been in a church like this there where there are actually people singing different parts in the congregation. Usually it was just, you know, people singing. Um, so to hear those different parts and for all those different parts to come together as one is really pretty cool. And then, and then to be able to listen to Asa do his own thing in the midst of it is pretty cool too, but it's not the goal. And as he gets older, he turned four Thursday, by the way. That's why he's wearing, he was wearing a shirt that said, I'm the birthday dude. Um, uh, we, we do birthday weeks. so. But anyway, uh, I'll remember that as he gets older. But I'll also not accept it as he gets older. For him to be bringing attention to himself as he gets older is not what he's supposed to do. Because what he's actually doing is pleasing himself. And that's not our goal. Now is it? And I think today from what we'll see, we'll surely see that and we'll surely understand a little better. Our goal as believers, our goal as Christians in a corporate body with each other, amongst each other, is not to stand out. It's not to do our own thing. It's not to please ourselves. But it's to be one and to function in such a way that we have one goal, one purpose... And we're all working together toward that purpose as one. Our passage today deals with this specifically. We'll be in Romans chapter 15. Wow. The next to last chapter of the book. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 7 today, and we should cover every bit of that today by the grace of God. And a little bit of luck. No luck. I'm just kidding. But if you would, would you stand and let's read this together. We stand to honor God, to receive the very words of God that we talked about Wednesday night. What a miracle. What a wonder. What a joy to receive the Word of God. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former, day, former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. 
May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we look into your word this morning, that we would behold ourselves in a mirror. But more importantly, God, that we would not despair of ourselves, but that we would look away from ourselves and see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. And that we would be conformed to His image. And may we be instilled with a steadfast, sure hope that what you have begun, you will complete. That you will bring us into conformity to the likeness of your Son. We trust that. Help us to receive it. And may your Spirit teach us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Let me say, I think this is an unfortunate chapter break. Uh, Chapter 15 is the exact same thing we've been talking about in chapter 14. Don't know why there's a chapter division there. And again, if you don't know, the chapter and the verse divisions were placed in the Bible after these passages were inspired. Paul didn't write, sit down and write 15.1 when he started this. That was added later. And it's, I'm glad we have it. It's for convenience sake. But <clears throat> we are in the exact same vein of thought that we've been in for full five, six weeks now, which is accommodating our brother so as not to violate their conscience regarding non-essential convictions. Meat, days, stuff like that. So... Don't let the 15 there take your mind in a different direction than where we've been. Because we are in the same place, thinking the same thoughts, and we're going to bring these thoughts to a completion between this week and then in two weeks when we get back in Romans. So, 15.1, let's start there. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So, Quick question as we begin in this uh, text, this, this particular verse here. Is it okay to identify yourself as a strong believer? Because I think we see that and we think that if we call ourselves strong, we, think, we may think we're being arrogant or prideful. But I think it's quite the opposite here. I think if we're talking about non-essential convictions and we're worried about our brother's conscience, it's all right to say, I'm the strong believer here. But be careful. Because if you do, then you've done something to place yourself according to this verse under obligation. So if you're going to call yourself a strong believer and you're going to look at your brother and say, okay, his conscience is weak, so I want to... I have to. I have to be under obligation. We who are strong have an obligation. And remember, strong is not right, weak is not wrong, and vice versa. To be strong is to be able to enjoy your freedom, to operate in such a way that you're not inhibited in non-essential issues of the Christian life. Now in the previous Romans context that we've already seen, we saw meat, drink, and days mentioned. 
Not blatant sin issues or major doctrinal issues, but non-essentials. And here in chapter 15, something happens. It's kind of like the limits are taken off. Now we're not just talking about meat and drink and days, but we're speaking in broad generalizations. And there's no specifics given. Just the broad strokes of strong and weak. And if we identify as strong in this context, then guess what? We have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. So being strong puts you under obligation. Hmm. But obligation to do what? To bear with the feeling failings, sorry, not the feelings, to bear with the failings of the weak. And I have thought a lot about that phrase. What does that mean? To bear with the failings of the weak. Because if I'm a strong believer who exercises my freedom appropriately, I have an obligation to do this. Now what's an obligation? I am obliged, it is necessary, it is expected that I do this. I have an obligation. I have to do it. So what is my obligation? It is my obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. To bear means to take on as a burden. The failings means an error arising from the weakness of the mind. So it is my obligation as a strong believer to take upon myself as a burden to bear an error that a weak believer has that has come from a weakness in their mind. Wow. To take it upon myself as a burden, their failings that come from their weakness in their mind. They're thinking wrongly about something and it has caused them to do something or believe something wrongly and it has led to a failure in their life. And that failure is to be taken on by strong believers. But how do these strong believers take on this failing? I think it means to make it your own. To absorb it into yourself. Your failing weak brother becomes mine to put on myself. But again, what does that mean? Galatians 6, 1 through 5. I'm going to read this and then we're going to talk about this a little bit in connection with taking upon yourself the failings of the weak, taking that burden upon yourself. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You see the connection? So you've got a, a spiritual and a sinning brother. And it's up to the spiritual brother to restore the sinning brother in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Now, two things are mentioned in this passage in Galatians. Burdens and loads. And what does it say about our load here? Everybody will have to bear his own load. But, but what about this burden thing? What was up with that? Bear one another's burdens. Now, let me talk about loads and burdens for a second. Your load is what you have. It's what you are expected to carry. It's your everyday life. It's, your, it's the expectations that are placed on you 
through the Scripture, through your brothers and sisters, those things that you have to do. We could say your job is your load. Your family is your load. Okay, Your personal holiness is your load. But sometimes things come along and they get a little heavier than just our daily load. And there are things that we can't carry ourselves. Those are burdens. Now what do we do with burdens? We reach out for help. And we ask, I can't handle this. This is too much for me. Can you help me? Carry your own load, but we bear one another's burdens. You see what I'm, see what I'm getting at here? The Galatians passage is referring to when a brother sins, how we are to respond. And the failing mentioned in Romans 15 is not sin, it became sin in the guy's conscience, but a faulty belief that can cause them to sin. So there are similarities, but it's not exactly the same. But what I want you to see is the connection between loads and burdens. Okay? In verse 5 of Galatians 6, it says, Each will have to bear his own load. Our load is that which is ours to carry. But verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Which that sounds an awful lot like Romans 14 that said, Love is the fulfillment of the law. When things get heavier, harder, more complex than our normal load, we need each other's help. And if I'm going to fulfill the law of Christ, I have to help my brother bear his burden because it's more than he can handle in and of himself. So when we see in Romans 15 that a strong brother has an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, this mindset from Galatians is clear. If a weak brother is in danger of violating his conscience, it is the stronger brother's obligation to absorb that and make sure that he, as the stronger brother, takes on that failing, takes on that faulty mindset, and bears that burden to keep the weaker brother from falling into sin in his conscience. So if I am somewhere, and again, let's get out of meat drinking days, because I think culturally, I don't know that we're there. I don't know that we're that concerned with meat drinking days. What about, what do you think? What are the things that we deal with? <laughs> we deal with a lot of things in our day, right? Different, different culture. Let's do smoking. There are people in here that are sure that smoking is a sin. Is tobacco evil in and of itself? Going way back. It's not. Is it a sin to bring in smoke into your body and thus damage your body? Well, it's... If drinking diet pop is a sin, then smoking's a sin because aspartame... Oh, they don't use that anymore. Artificial sweeteners are carcinogen, so you can't draw that hard, fast line is what I'm saying. So let's use smoking. Smoking is not in and of itself a sin. Some people like to sit down and relax with a cigar. I do not. I can't fathom it. I can't imagine it. Why that's relaxing to choke yourself and to get smoke in your lungs. I don't get it. But let's use that. What if your brother comes over who thinks that smoking is a sin and that for them to smoke it would be a sin. Should you pull out your cigar and say, oh well, or should you bear with their failings, their weak convictions, their weak conscience and say, I'm going to smoke anyway? No, I bear His burden. I bear with His failings and I forego my freedom and walk in His weak conscience. That's what this is talking about. Bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. 
This is bearing with the failings of the weak. But you may say, am I not free to enjoy my cigar? Well, technically, yes, you are free to enjoy your cigar. But, <laughs> is that really what you want? Do you, do you want to enjoy your freedom more than you want to help your brother? More than you want to bear with the failings of the weak? Look at the end of verse 1. And not to please ourselves. Now, piece that in with the previous part of the verse. We have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. That's our obligation. Bear the burden of the weaker brother's conscience and don't please yourself. Stronger brother, that is your obligation. You have an obligation to not please yourself if pleasing yourself leads your weaker brother into sinning by violating his conscience. You are under obligation to not please yourself. I think it's a pretty good summary statement of everything we've seen in chapter 14. And then our next verse expands on that. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now in continuing the thought of being under obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not pleasing ourselves, we then see that we should, each of us, each of us, please who? Our neighbor. For whose good? For his good. To build who up? To build him up. And this is again for the four millionth time a call to be more concerned with our neighbor than we are for our own freedom or preferences. This is about a heart attitude. That's what we talked about last week that looks at my neighbor or my brother and we say clearly, your good, your welfare, your spiritual well-being, your growth in Christ is more important to me than these things that I enjoy and that I can enjoy to the glory of God. It would seem from these verses, from 14 and the verses we're looking at today, it would seem, listen to me, that God is more glorified in my building my brother up than He is in my enjoying my freedom as an end in itself. You say, well, I can honor God with this. Yeah, but you can be even more glorifying to God by building your brother up. Hmm. Much more on this glorification thing later. But for now, we ask the question, looking at verses 1 and 2, is there a precedent for this? Is there maybe hmm, an example that we can follow? And the answer is, yep, there sure is. Verse 3, For Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now we touched on this briefly last week, but here in the flow of thought, in the context of our passage today, we see clearly our ultimate example in all of this is Jesus Christ. For Christ. Christ is our example. Christ is the precedent setter in this aspect and in every aspect of our Christian lives. Anybody know what the word Christian means? It means little Christ. It was first used as an insult by outsiders talking about these new believers. They're little Christs. Or Christ impersonator. That's what the word Christian means. And is this not our goal? Are we not to be a Christ impersonator? Are we not to be little Christs? Not Messiahs. Not Saviors. 
but we are to imitate Christ. That is our goal. We've been looking at what it means to walk in the dust of the rabbi on these past five Wednesdays. And we've seen that the goal of the disciple is to be like his teacher. Vanderlaan said that they would walk so close they hoped that the dust that he kicked up would kick up on them so that they would become like him even in that aspect. Jesus said it himself, Luke 6.40, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. We are to be concerned with primarily becoming and being like Jesus in all that we do. And here, in the context of bearing our brother's burdens and bearing with his failings, we see the perfect example given in the life of Christ. For Christ did not please Himself. Now do you get that? You see that? Do you know that? Jesus Christ said in John 5.19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord. He can't please Himself, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Now, did He enjoy doing the Father's will? Yes, He did. But the question is, did he, could He have taken some shortcuts and missed some hard things? I guess He could have, but He didn't. He didn't. He chose to only do what the Father was doing. He didn't please Himself. And if we are going to look at Jesus as our ultimate example, we too should not. Seek to please ourselves. That's what Paul's saying in this context, what the Holy Spirit is communicating to us in this context of Romans 15. Jesus only did what His Father was doing, and as such, we should mimic Jesus, we should follow His example. And in doing so, we are foregoing our rights and privileges, and we are pleasing Him. And when we do that, we will surely have to endure some times when things don't go our way. They surely didn't for Jesus. I mean, He went to a cross and died the death of a common vagrant and He bore that reproach. He didn't seek to please Himself all the way to the cross. Look at the end of the verse. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now that's a quote from Psalm 69.9. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. The 69th Psalm is a Psalm of David where he talks of reproaches. And if you look through 69, Psalm 69, it says reproaches a lot. The reproach Psalm. He talks about, David talks about the reproaches that have fallen on him time and again, and he calls out to God for deliverance from his enemies. So Paul, using this reference from the Psalm, is showing that David was also speaking about the Messiah, Jesus, even though I don't think David knew that, and how the Messiah, how Jesus would bear our reproach, how He would take on our sins, we sang about it, upon Himself, and pay the penalty for them in our place. So the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Jesus took those reproaches upon Himself. And we are called to do the same thing. Now, if that's not bearing with the failings of the weak and not pleasing yourself, then I don't know what is. Jesus is our model, our goal, our forerunner in the faith who shows what this Christian life is supposed to look like. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. What does that look like? Isaiah 53, 5 
but He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. So as our reproaches fell on Him, Isaiah says 700 years before Jesus came into the world, those reproaches fell upon Him. And He bore that burden to Calvary and He suffered and He died alone. How marvelous, how wonderful. Now, you want to talk about having to give up freedoms for the sake of your brother? You want to feel slighted if your brother's conscience causes you to give up something you want? Think about Jesus. Think about the cross. Think about your sins being placed on Him and Him being pierced, crushed, chastised, and wounded for your sins. The reproaches, your reproaches, fell on Him. And He serves as our model. So when you're a little bit concerned about giving up your freedom for the sake of your brother, think about Jesus. Because it's exactly what He did. And then live like that too. Live like Jesus lived. And bear the reproaches and the burdens of other people. Speaking of things written in the past, like we saw in Isaiah 53, 5. <laughs> Let's see if I have Verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Now, I love this verse. It's like the Holy Spirit knew we would need a pep talk after all this instruction on hows and whys and whos and such. And where does that pep talk come from? From the Bible, from the Scriptures. Paul just referenced the Psalms and then says that, that those Psalms and all that was written in former days was written for our instruction. The Old Testament, which is what is being referred to here, Psalm 69, and the New Testament which Paul was actually writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit at the time, they were written for our instruction. They were written to teach us something. They were written to help us be more like Jesus. So we don't have to try to blindly guess what Jesus would do or how we should treat our weaker brother. We have clear teachings on these things. And since we do, that instruction does some real good for us. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Now, do you understand what hope is? It can be tough to consistently walk like Jesus walked, to make decisions on a constant basis which leads to the upbuilding of my brother at the expense of my freedom. But hope says we don't do it alone. Hope says we don't have to try to do the right thing. Because as believers, aside from the very presence of the Holy Spirit, who is the very life of God in us, we also have the promise of endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures. And this gives us our greatest ally. Did you hear what I just said? This gives us our greatest ally in our day-to-day walk toward eternity. And what is our greatest ally? Our greatest ally is hope. Hope is powerful. And biblical hope is not hope like we think of it. 
We hope it doesn't rain when we're going to the parade. We hope our favorite team wins their game. But not so in the Bible, friends. Hope is so much more. Hebrews 6.19 We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Here, hope is a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. Anybody want that? Anybody want a sure and steadfast anchor for your souls? It's hope. You might remember Romans 8, 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Romans 8 tells us that we were saved in hope. And while we don't see what we hope for, that hope carries us through with patience. So, back in our Romans 15 context, the Scriptures furnish us with this hope by which we are saved, by which we are encouraged, and by which we endure. And we know how to best serve our brother too through this hope, through the Scriptures. And we need that. So then, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, prays for us in these next two verses, verses 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now after arming his readers with hope, which is an anchor, which is what we were saved in, which helps us to endure patiently, Paul then moves from that and he uses another weapon of mass encouragement to help his readers. He moves from giving us hope to praying for us. He addresses God and His readers in this two-verse prayer. Look at it. Note what He prays for them and by association what He prays for us. May the God of endurance and encouragement... Now that's pretty good news right there. Our God is the God of endurance and encouragement. Breathe that in. You go back and you look at all the Roman and the Greek gods. What were they? Were angry, and they had to be appeased, and they had to. If you didn't do something right, Zeus might zap you with a lightning bolt. Right? If you weren't nice, they might strike you with a plague or a drought. So we had to appease them. We had to bring them offerings. We had to do the right thing. We looked at the thing Wednesday night. Will I prosper in my new trade? If you give enough offering, then yes, you will. So they were always trying to appease the gods. Well, guess what? Our God is appeased. Because of propitiation, because He punished our sins in Christ, listen, Christian, I've said it a thousand times, I'll say it a million more before I die. Christian, God is not mad at you. Now, as long as now is now, there is no condemnation for you. You don't have to try to appease Him. He has moved from your enemy, which is what He was before you were born again. He has moved from your enemy and now He is the God of endurance and encouragement. I'll take that exchange any day. And what does Paul ask that this God does for us? He prays, grant you, grant us, to live. Live how? In such harmony 
with one another. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. All this jazz in Romans 14 and 15 are so that we can live in harmony with one another. And that's good, but it's not the only thing. But also so that we may live in accord with Christ Jesus. Now remember, the reproaches of them that reproached you fell upon Him. He bore our burdens and our sins to Calvary. And we're called to live in such a way as well. We're supposed to live in accord with Him. Us living in harmony with one another is also living in accord or toward Christ Jesus. Harmony with one another and in accord with Jesus. Now that's a pretty good prayer. And we need to be praying that for each other and for ourselves. Pray the Scriptures. Pray the Bible. They're inspired prayers. God's guaranteed to answer them. We went through that book a couple years ago. Donna Whitney book. It was good. Praying the Bible. But living in harmony with one another and living in accord with Jesus is not the end. Those are the means that we get to the end. Verse 6 says that, which is purpose, that, which is purpose, together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose, the purpose, the purpose in our seeking to bear with our weak brother's failings, the purpose in living in harmony with one another, the purpose in living in accord with Jesus is so that we can be unified in our collective voice to ascribe glory to God and to show those around us in a lost and dying world that God is glorious. And actually, this is the point of the whole Christian life. Actually, that's the point of the universe itself. Actually... That's the purpose of God Himself, is to show His glory. The glory of God is the supreme purpose of all things. 1 Peter 4.11 speaks to this. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That phrase, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Those phrases show that God's glory is the ultimate end and the ultimate goal of all things. And our living in harmony, our accommodating our weaker brother, our forfeiting our freedoms when needed are ultimately about God's glory. And that's a great purpose. That's our main purpose and our main desire in all things, including pleasing, helping, edifying our brother. Therefore, 15.7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So what? So, therefore, since this is our main purpose, we are to welcome one another, whether weak or strong, as Christ has welcomed us. And how has Christ welcomed us? He's welcomed us with grace, with love, with compassion, with deference, deferring to what we need instead of what He wants. He has welcomed us with an understanding spirit. Scripture says He knows our frame that we are but dust. 
He knows. And He has welcomed us in the midst of it. So, welcome each other this way. Newsflash, your brother, strong or weak, is a sinner. A redeemed sinner, but a sinner. Newsflash to the newsflash, so are you. So welcome one another. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. No. No. Because you know that His plight is your plight. Because you know that Christ welcomed Him just like He welcomed you. Welcome one another. With an understanding spirit. Welcome each other this way. And why? Again, for the glory of God. Now that's quite a passage. And I'm not going to do anything to mess with the passage. I'm going to pull the application points, four of them, straight out of the Scripture, straight out of what we just read. Application point one. And you can forget about trying to memorize these application points. Forget it. It's, you're just going to have to go back and listen to it, write it down or something. Or write it down now. You could do that too. Application point one. Listen. When necessary, don't please yourself, but always edify. When necessary, don't please yourself, but always edify. Now what's that mean? This is about the good of my neighbor to build him up. It's about being purposeful in seeking what my brother needs instead of just doing something because I'm free to or just because I can. Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 8.13, we've looked at this a few times. He said, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now he is saying here, if this is a problem for my brother, I'll never eat meat again. We're going to cook out Wednesday. I'd like to have a burger and a dog and some chips and a pop. And Paul's saying, if it makes my brother stumble, I'll never do that again. If it makes my brother stumble, I'll never smoke another cigar again. If it makes my brother stumble, I'll never drink another beer again. If it makes my brother stumble, how far do you go with it? Hmm? How far do you go with it? I'll purposefully choose to not cause my brother to sin by violating his conscience. Always. I will seek to do whatever builds my brother up as that which is of first importance. But, this is not about pandering to Pharisees. Now what do I mean by that? Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way. John Calvin puts the point well when he says that we restrain the exercise of our freedom for the sake of weak believers, but not when we are faced with Pharisees who demand that we conform to what is unscriptural. Where the gospel is at stake, liberty needs to be exercised. Where the stability of a weak Christian is at stake, we need to restrain it. Now why do I say that? Because our conversation for six, seven weeks now has been how far do you carry this thing? Do you go to the lowest common denominator and just don't do anything that you think might possibly offend somebody? You can't live that way. God has not called you to live that way. 
It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, if my freedom is going to cause my brother to sin in his conscience, faulty though it may be, I won't do what my freedom says I can do. I'll do it in private, we talked about last week. I'll smoke my cigar on my couch in my home or on my porch because I don't think my wife would want me to smoke a cigar in the house. I wouldn't want to either, but anyway... If it offends my brother and causes him to sin, thinking, well, maybe I can do this, and then he takes a puff and he is just tore up in his conscience, I'm sinning. I'm I'm destroying the temple of God. I won't do it in front of him, ever. But, sometimes, Lord, have mercy on my soul. Sometimes, building up means tearing down a facade of fake spirituality. So I'm going to do what leads to edification. When necessary, don't please yourself, but always edify. Edification is the building up of one another toward holiness and godliness. There is a time when you have to tear something down before you can build it up. But Lord, God, be careful. Be very careful at these times. What do I mean by that? Some people are walking around with a mask on, and they're demanding that you conform to their mask. It's exactly what the Pharisees did. You have to keep our rules that we've added to the law of God. Well, did, did Jesus do that? Did Jesus pander to them and say, okay, since I'm afraid you might be offended by what I say, I won't say that anymore. No. No. No, He looked them in the face and He called them a brood of vipers. He told them they were the sons of their father, the devil. And He told them they were going to split the gates of hell wide open because their righteousness was external and not internal. Well, Jesus, that's not very nice. That's not bearing with the conscience of your brother. No, but it's tearing down a fake spirituality. And sometimes we have to do that to edify people. In this case, if someone is calling for me to yield to their desires or their preferences in worship styles, clothing, or other externals, then I can lovingly say no and not bow the knee to pharisaical demands of false holiness. The disciples were walking through the grain fields on Sunday and they were plucking heads of grain. The Pharisees said, ah, bah, 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 bah. They can't do that. Jesus didn't turn and say, Guys, you need to stop. He looked at the Pharisees and said, The Lord of the Sabbath is here. And the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He tore down their fake spirituality and said, Pluck away, guys, to my glory. Be careful. Be careful. What about Jesus healing that guy on the Sabbath and telling him to take up his bed and walk? Pharisees said, why are, you, why are you carrying your mat on Sunday? Because Jesus told me to. That guy, I actually didn't even know who it was. That guy, that guy told me to. Jesus didn't say, oh, you better put your mat down, buddy. Just leave it. You don't need it anymore anyway. He said, take up your bed. Walk. Go on. Go home. Rejoice. Be careful, be careful, be careful. And check your heart when making these judgments. I will never simply do what I want in order to please myself or to purposefully displease somebody else. I will never do that. But I will always do what edifies both me and my brother. Sometimes that will mean foregoing my freedom 
And other times it will mean exercising that freedom to the glory of God so my brother can see that his externals do nothing to save or earn him God's favor. And this can be tricky, but always check your heart and seek your brother's good. Don't bow the knee to false demands of false spirituality. You have no reason to do that. None. So that was application point one. When necessary, don't please yourself when it's necessary, but always edify. Point two. This one's easy. Encourage yourself with Scripture. We saw in the passage today that what was written in the Bible was written for our encouragement in order to give us hope. So, not to be too much of an echo of Wednesday night, but read your Bible. Application point two is encourage yourself with Scripture. So read your Bible. Are you discouraged? Read your Bible. Feeling like your hope is gone? Read your Bible. You need guidance? Read your Bible. You want to know God's will? Read the Bible. You want to know how to best encourage your brother and build him up? Read the Bible. I know it sounds oversimplistic, but really, can it get any more plain than what we've seen today? The Scriptures were given for our encouragement and our instruction to give us hope. You say, well, I just feel hopeless. Well, then read your Bible. I know we've used it several times in application points, but I can't get away from it. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You want to work for God? Read your Bible. You want to know what God desires from you? Read your Bible. You want to know how to encourage yourself? So that you, you might be complete and equipped for every good work? Read your Bible. And don't just read it, but absorb it. Be immersed in it. I love Paul's admonition to Timothy in his first letter to him, 1 Timothy 4, 13-16. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Here you go. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Which comes from where? The Bible. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Whoa. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Note the connection between the public reading of the Scripture, exhortation, teaching, and salvation. The Scriptures are how we are exhorted. The Scriptures are how we are taught. The Scriptures are how we are saved. So immerse yourself in them. I'll stop with that. When necessary, don't please yourself, but always edify. Encourage yourself with the Scripture. Point three, walk in hope. Christian, we could fill the churches of today with serious worship if we could get a hold of the concept of hope. If we really understood the hope that we have, the hope that is ours, we would be unshakable. 
We mentioned in application last week the passage that Bob read last Wednesday, two Wednesdays ago, from Ephesians 1. In Ephesians 1.18 it says this, "...having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you." What are the riches of His glorious inheritance of the saints? And it goes on and on. But here's the thing, if only we would know what is the hope of which He has called you. He saved you in hope. He called you in hope. He equips you with hope. And with this hope, you can live in such a way that trials and persecutions do not shake you because you know your ultimate destination, your ultimate destiny. And you know who controls it. Peter puts it wonderfully. 1 Peter 1, 3-9. We're almost, we're almost done. Stay with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. You want to talk about hope. Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. You want to talk about a living hope that carries you through tough times? Knowing the outcome of it all is the salvation of your souls. Walk in that hope. Live in that hope. And know that its outcome and ultimate purpose, which is what we see in Romans 5.2, through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope. Hope of what? Our ultimate good? Yes, but that's not all. Because our ultimate good is bound up in the glory of God. Which is our fourth and final application point. Live to glorify God. You got a decision to make? You wonder what will serve your brother regarding your freedom? Do those things that would show God for who He really is to both you and to those around you. Live to show off the glory of God. Jesus said to His disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 14-16, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And here you go. In the same way, Christian, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's the purpose. That's the point. That's what we all, in one voice, in one purpose, one passion, are working together for. That's why I defer to my brother in his weak conscience. That's why I celebrate my freedom when I can. That's why I tear down pharisaical strongholds in the lives of other people. Not for my sake, not for their sake, but ultimately for the glory of God. And if you don't have that end in mind, if we aren't concentrated and concerted on that one purpose, we are not in unity together. We want a good church. It's not a good enough reason. We like the music that's done. It's not a good enough reason. 
We like having the Lord's Supper every Sunday. It's not a good enough reason. The glory of God is the only reason that is sufficient for us to do the things that God has called us to do. Your ultimate purpose is to show the world how marvelous, how wonderful, how glorious your God is. And you are the best picture of God that some will ever see. You are the only Bible that some people will ever read. So walk in such a way that your soul desire, when you get up in the morning, when you lay down at night, when you sit down around a table to eat food, when you're with your family, when you're doing nothing, when you're having fun, it's all for the purpose of glorifying God. Live like Him to please Him and to communicate Him to the world. All this talk of what I can do in my freedom and how I can build up my brother is swallowed up in the greater question. What will most glorify God in this situation? This is the overarching principle that takes precedence over every other question and ambition. After giving commands to older men and older women and younger women and younger men and bondservants in Titus 2, Paul says that the point of all of it in Titus 2.10, not pilfering but showing all good faith so that in everything... Old women, young women, old men, young men, bond servants, that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. In our quest to do so, in our quest to adorn the doctrine, or as the NIV puts it, to make the teaching about God our Savior attractive, in our quest to do that, we are seeking to glorify Him. Meet is not your ultimate goal. A cigar is not your ultimate goal. Your freedom is not your ultimate goal. Even your brother is not your ultimate goal. The glory of God is your ultimate goal. To show the world the glory that is inherently His. To show everyone how beautiful, wonderful, and marvelous He is. And according to our passage today, we do that when we walk in harmony with one another, when we walk in accord with Christ Jesus. Then... And only then can we, with one voice, glorify God. Then, and only then, can we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. And when we do these things, it will be for the glory of God. Not a discordant, I'm going to do my own thing and enjoy my own desires. You can't do that and glorify God. You can't build your brother up that way. You can't walk in hope that way. You don't see that in the Scripture. God, what is going to best glorify you in this moment? And I will give up my freedom in this moment if it's going to glorify you. I'll enjoy my freedom in this moment if it's going to glorify you. I don't want my own way. I want your glory, God, above all things. So then whether you eat or drink or any such thing, do all to the glory of God. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would uncomplicate these things for us. And I think the best way that you can do that is to show us that our goal is your glory. And you have given us 
clear instruction in Your Word. You have given us hope and encouragement and instruction through the Bible so that we may forfeit our freedom when we need to and we may celebrate our freedom when we can. God, the point that Your Holy Spirit is trying to convey to us today is it's not hard to accommodate your brother when your goal is to glorify God. Would you just help that message to resonate with us? And may you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, enable us to make those decisions and do those things which ultimately point to you and give you glory. Help us to simplify it all. Boil it down to the bare bare minimum. We want to glorify You, God. So help us to live with our brother in a way that glorifies You. Help us to enjoy our freedoms in a way that glorifies You. Help us to see what glorifies You in Your Word. And help us to walk in the hope that You will get us there. He who has begun a good work in You will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Faithful is He who calls You and He will bring it to pass. We celebrate these things, God, and seek Your glory in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Which is pulled straight from our text today, verses 5 through 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Stay and eat with us if you can, please.